The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transformed their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And today, my guest is Dan Stout. Dan is the author of a recently published book called The Reunion, and that book examines living a life of significance. And after co-founding the award-winning employee benefits firm Dustinville Bowler Wood & Stout in 1993, Dan went on to join Sandler Training in 2005. He's active in the Kansas City business community. He's become an accomplished author, a sought-after speaker. And in this book that we're going to be talking about today, The Reunion, Dan and his co-author Jim Mathis dive deeply into some of life's tough questions. And you'll find out how the characters begin to appreciate who they are, where they come from, where they're going, and how, as business owners ourselves, we can draw on their experiences and on the lessons that they have learned. So welcome to the show today. Well, thank you for having me, Kelly. Very glad to have you here, Dan. So the reunion, it's not been out quite a year yet, is that right? Not yeah, quite it's a been year? out about, yeah, about seven months. Mm-hmm. Okay, so give us a brief overview of it. Yeah, well, really, the reason I uh, decided to uh, co-write this book is, uh, even though I do a lot of training, I also mm-hmm. provide coaching to a lot of my clients, and and uh, what I was finding is sometimes when I'm coaching people that they really aren't connecting the dots between mm-hmm. where they are and maybe what they should be doing. They kind of see it as random or maybe they're in the wrong spot. Or others are trying to make something work in their lives that really um, isn't, isn't working, but they're fearful of, of pursuing what they really feel like they should be doing. So the reunion really came out of that, and I've just found personally that I, I learn more from from kind of the parable story format, you know, where, I, where I'm reading about characters and I kind of go, yeah, that makes sense to me as opposed to someone just telling me what to do or right. you know, being very, so so that's really how we came up with the book. We came up with, um, there's four um, distinct people. They all go back to their 20-year class reunion mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, at, at 38 years old, you know, people are sometimes uh, kind of trying to, per, you know, they want people to perceive them maybe different than they really are and they're all kind of jockeying for position. And then over the next 10 years, when they come back to their 30-year class reunion, uh, two of them pursued something that they really felt like they were called to do, and the other two just kept trying to get more of what they already had. Mm-hmm. And so that's really how the storyline leads us to is um, at the end of the book, they're, at, they've just, um, they're just leaving their 30-year class reunion from high school. Okay. So it's interesting the way that you talked about some people decided to pursue a different direction, which I'm assuming is a life of more significance, and the other two characters tried to uh, just keep getting more of what they had. And that, that to me, begs the question of, of significance itself. Is significance something that a person can overtly go after? Um, you know, the people listening to the show today, that's a great idea. Yeah. Living a life, mm-hmm. is that something, can you just overtly go after that, you know, chase after it, or is it more of a product of living one's life in a certain way? Talk to us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, that's a great question. And um, so maybe just to kind of back up a second about, mm-hmm. you know, what how am I how am I defining success? How am I defining significance? So, from a, a lot of people are, are running after success, and success though oftentimes has to do with more what are they getting. So, for example, what kind of house do I live in? You know, how many kids do I have? What are my kids involved in? It's all it's all kind of about them. And, you know, and how much money they make and Mm -hmm. status and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing, trophies, awards, where significance is more about uh, how am I impacting others. Mm. So to your point, um, and what's interesting is um, I personally know a lot of really successful people, but in the scheme of things, they're not really significant. You know, it, it, it really it's really all about what they've got going on. And there are a few people in their inner circle that may benefit from that, but they're really not significantly impacting people's lives. Where someone who's um, living a life of significance, they're impacting people's lives, and that in and of itself is successful. Mm-hmm. So that's really, and usually if we're kind of in that sweet spot, you know, just you doing this this blog radio program, you're impacting people's lives. That's a that's a life of significance. If it was being done strictly for the money, and just you know, and it really wasn't impacting people's lives, that would be more of a successful move, and mm-hmm. that it might fund fund something that you really want, you know, a bigger home or a nicer car, but it's really not impacting people's lives. So maybe sure. does that kind of help a little bit? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so significance almost means uh, it's it's leaving a legacy because of the impact that you've had. Maybe I'm blowing this up right. far too much, but uh, with from what I'm understanding, with significance, um, you're because of the impact that you're having, you actually leave a legacy that um, succeeds you. You know that that once right. you're out of the picture, the things that you put in action still have a life of their own and continue. Uh, to have an impact, whereas success, you know, once you're gone, the car that you had, the house that you had, none of that means anything to anybody else. It all dries up, yeah. So, and that's a and that's a great word that you used. In fact, that's one of the words I used to describe the book. You know, people that are drawn to the book are typically kind of in the halftime of their careers. They're like 35 to 55, you know, depending on how long you want to work. And then, but the other part of it is is that um, they're they're concerned about what kind of legacy am I leaving? And people start to kind of think about those things. Um, you know, if they're 35 and they're already thinking about that, they're ahead of the game. If they're 55 and haven't given any thought to that, they're behind the game. So, right. but somewhere in between that 35 to 55, you know, people they get the car, they get the house, they make the six-figure income, which they thought was going to make them happy, and they get there and they just kind of go, hmm. You know, this is just a little bit of a letdown. I expected things to be different, better. I thought I'd be happy. And, and so that's when they start to realize that maybe that isn't the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and importantly, I think, too, when we talk about significance, a lot of times when people think about significance, um, they think of it maybe in an earth-changing or world-changing kind of way. But I think sometimes we forget about the fact that we can have significance even within a very small group of people, whether it's, uh, you know, your children or um, whomever it might be. But it it can be a much smaller group. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't necessarily have to be this great big attention-getting impact. It it can be a more quiet kind of significance. It is. In fact, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of, you know, um, if if I would give you a million dollars today, uh, would you rather have that, or would you rather me give you a penny, and I'll double it every day for 30 days? Mm-hmm. And, of course, most people would say, I'm taking the million dollars. But right. the reality of it is, 
is there's the multiplication factor, factor mm-hmm. that ha- that's in there. And if you take a penny a day and it multi- and it doubles every day, I believe it's the 30th day it becomes like you know 3.5 million or something. Mm-hmm. So the, the the point there is is oftentimes significance is just a little thing, but we're in, it's like we're touching people's lives, and then they go on and touch other people's lives. So we really don't even know sometimes the significance we're having if we're doing it in that smaller, intimate way, because it's going to be multiplying in some cases for generations. Absolutely. So when the purpose of this book then um, is is it meant to just make people think differently? Is it meant for those people that you talked about and midway through their lives you're starting to have some doubts to? inspire them to make the changes in their life. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you hope that once somebody reads the book, what kind of uh, actions for them to take, what kind of an impact you hope for them to have. The the best thing, you know, uh, what what I'm always interested in is when someone reads it and they said, that was really thought-provoking, or it really made me think, because that's really what we're we're going after. You know, a book just in and of itself isn't going to revolutionize somebody's life. But then the next question I ask them is, what about it made you think differently, or what what was thought-provoking? And that's where the secret sauce is. And so you and I and two other people could read it, and we could come away with completely different thoughts on it. But the point is where they're just not sleepwalking through life, or maybe they're saying, you know, I never really connected the dots that – you know, I never planned to be in sales, for example. I work with a lot of salespeople, and 85 to 90% of them that are full-time commissioned salespeople had no idea they'd ever be there. Mm-hmm. So instead of it, of it feeling like, oh, my gosh, you know, I just fell into this, or some of them it's like, you know, you've got, you've got significance there, but you're not connecting the dots. When I say connecting the dots to what did you want to be as a child? And, like, even one guy told me, he said, you know, I wanted to be a professional athlete. You know, and, you know, that that didn't happen. He goes, but there's a lot of things that if I would have become a professional athlete, that I get those same types of strokes and those same types of things as a professional salesperson. Oh. And so when, once he connected those dots, it didn't seem so random anymore. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people that, you know, they graduated with a degree in something, maybe accounting, and they just, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, I have this degree. And so they're an accountant, but they just said, you know, but that's just, I don't know, I, I can do this, but I just don't really feel like it's me, but they don't take that chance to try something else, you know, that maybe, you know, that they really felt like they were called to do. A lot of kids go to college because their parents tell them. And right. They pick majors that their parents think they should take. But normally the answer to what they really should be doing is when you go back to when you were about six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. And when you, you know, when you're in school and they said, draw what you want to be when you grow up, you know, that was typically what what you were kind of made to do, called to do. But then over a seri- series of events, you know, whether a well-meaning parent or a well-meaning you know, coach or a well-meaning teacher maybe discouraged you, and then it, what happens is it goes underground. And yeah. usually it goes underground for about 30 years, and it starts to pop up in their late 30s. But some people just keep pushing it back down, and others say, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm willing to try to figure this out. And that's where the mm-hmm. significance is. Yeah, and sometimes people do it to themselves. Some people don't have the confidence for whatever reason or um, whatever the reason is. I, I know sometimes people um, just, they maybe society as a whole, what they see, um, it, that what they think that they ought to be doing will not be cause them to be successful, and so they, mm-hmm. they just don't pursue it. But it is interesting at that point in your life how you start having – you start thinking about things differently. Uh, some people do. Uh, I want yeah. to 
I, not everybody. Um, I want to go back to what you were talking about. You, know, you teach the sales classes and you run across all kinds of different people. You mentioned the guy who thought he was going to be a professional athlete, uh, didn't think he was going to be in sales, but he found that what he um, – the, he, he was having the same, getting the same types of um, responses in sales as he had hoped to get as a professional athlete. So, so he was being satisfied in that way. Um, so, going back to take this back to business owners, which is primarily what our audience is today. Uh, many of the business owners that I talk to, one of the reasons that they go into business is to leave a mark or to be significant. And so, how would you say? that this book applies to them? What are the lessons that they could take away from this book? Because you get into business and you just, you know, sometimes everything that you you know intrinsically that's good, you get into business, it can be vicious, it can you can start it can start turning into all about profit. So so how can you marry the two? Uh yeah, no, that's a great question. So really um what what I see with particularly um you know entrepreneurs up until they get into those you know emerging market sizes where is is that oftentimes um it's more about them letting go and but they're not letting go. So for example, getting back to you know strengths versus something I'm okay at. We 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 do um, I think anytime someone can take an evaluation of any kind what it what it allows you to do is it allows you to get clear on what are your strengths. What are things that you can take it or leave it? If you do it mm-hmm. in a day, you're capable of it. But if you don't do it, you don't miss it. And one of those things that every time you do it, it's just like it drains you. And so that's really part of significance too is not saying you don't work on your weaknesses. I'm not saying that at all, particularly on depending on what your role is. But let's not focus on them. Mm-hmm. You know, how about we, how about we focus on what are my strengths and how can I align my role as a business owner where I'm leveraging those strengths to really who I was called to be as opposed to feeling trapped by being mm, a business mm-hmm. owner. Yeah. So I run into a lot of business owners that even though it's the American dream and they you know they did it for all the right reasons, they're not growing for all the wrong reasons. You know, the wrong reasons being they won't let go, they mm-hmm. won't take a chance they took a chance to start the company, but they won't take chances to grow the company. Yeah. And so those are some of the things that come out of the book is, you know, part of it's blooming where you're planted, you know, um, and just recognizing that you're there for a reason and there's a reason this is all happening, but that doesn't mean that there's not a way for you to become more significant in that role. Mm-hmm. And so maybe maybe a person who started a company after about three years, they go, you know, I, used to, I feel like I used to be a lot more generous, you know, mm-hmm. and so lately I feel like I've become kind of cheap. And I'm not involved. I'm not giving my time. I'm not giving my money to things that used to really make me, you know. So those are just some things that if they can just step back long enough, and then it also helps them hire people to that that have the strengths that they don't have instead of hiring a mini-me. You know, I see sure. that happen a lot. Right. This is the way they think they grow is I'm going to hire someone just like me because I'm, I'm so great. I'm also, and that, that actually causes them to not grow. Mm-hmm. So that, those would be some of the things I would say in okay. the book that you just kind of get clear on. You know, what when you do it, it doesn't feel like work. There's things that an entrepreneur does that gives them energy. It's work, but it gives mm-hmm. them energy. And there's things the entrepreneur does every day that is like it's draining them. Right. And so it's just to be able to kind of find someone else to take care of those things mm-hmm. and then transition to where you're just, your day, it just you get home, you have energy at night as opposed to being worn out. Sure. And it's interesting, uh, the whole energy concept, because 
you, like me, probably, we've taken all kinds of different uh, personality mm-hmm. tests and skills-based mm-hmm. tests and the DISC and all these things. But there is a test out there that I took for the first time a couple of years ago that shows you where your energy levels peak and where your energy levels plummet. What are the types of things um, or situations that cause that? And it's not necessarily um, that you're bad at those things. You can actually be very good at some of those things. It's just that the amount of energy it takes you drained mm-hmm. you. And uh, that was a whole new way of looking at things for me whenever I started looking at everything that I do from that vantage point. And it's funny because when I took some of those other tests, I never would consciously stop during the day and think, oh, this is my high whatever coming out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah. with, the, with the whole energy thing, I do find myself thinking, this is taking my energy. This is taking my energy. What what can I do differently or who can I get to do this that will allow me then to go over here and be um, better at these other things that don't take as much energy? So, yeah, that's great advice. And yeah, say, again, you know, like being in your sweet spot, you know, just being in your sweet mm-hmm. spot as opposed to, you know, I think one of the most freeing things someone said to me one time is, you know, just because I you can do something, Dan, doesn't mean you should be doing it. That's you just, true. And, and, and there's just a lot of entrepreneurs out there that have a big bandwidth. You know, they're mm-hmm. capable of doing a lot of different things, and they do have a high energy level. But just because I can do it doesn't mean I should be doing it. And so mm-hmm. they really kind of separate uh, what do I, you know, what do I love to do versus what 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 can I do? Exactly. What are some of the other uh, takeaways from the book, uh, whether they apply to business, because of course, you know, we're, we have a business owner audience, but we're all people. So I had specifically asked you takeaways for the business owner, but, but some of the other general takeaways that the readers of the book will have. Well, I think just in general is, you know, um, you know, getting more of what you already have. There, there, there's a point where it, there's just a law of diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I've just seen, you know, where we, where we live in a, you know, suburban area of Kansas City, it's it's one of the wealthiest zip codes in the U.S. But but the, the issue there is that um, there comes a point though where when is enough enough, mm-hmm. and then also, you know, what, what kind of impact is that having? Not only on my immediate family, I see that happen a lot too, where entrepreneurs will say, you know, I'm doing this for my kids, and there's a specific person in the book mm-hmm. that, you know, she was convinced that she was doing this all for her kids. And really, all her kids wanted was her. They didn't want her stuff. They exactly. Didn't want, you know, and so there's this this performance at home, you know. Um, you know, she was a high performer in the book, and then so of course that transcends into you're all going to be high performers at home. And it was almost like a conditional type of love as opposed to an unconditional. So it's just those mm-hmm. kinds of soft skills. You know, and sometimes things that we can apply at work that work well don't apply well at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that would be one example. Another one is, um, you know, is just really um, not getting so caught up where you feel trapped by your success. You know, right. I, I talk to a lot of people that they're used to making two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollars a year, but they don't like what they're doing. But they yeah. won't pursue what they really want because they're scared of what they're going to lose. So right. that that's an example of where someone's trapped by their success. Well, that's it's not. Yeah, it's the golden handcuffs. And then on the other hand, too. Um, Sometimes because of those benefits and because of that kind of a salary, a person has leveraged themselves so much financially that they have to stay on that that hamster wheel just to make the payments. They just can't walk away from it even if they want to. It's That's so, exactly um, – you yeah. remind me of my thought about bringing up the wealthiest county is that um, – 
talking to people that are in the financial advisory world, they say, you know, really what it is is just a higher level of poverty. You know, mm. their net worth isn't any better than someone making 40000 because they're spending as much or more than they're making. So that just right. keeps them on that hamster wheel where they can't jump off. Mm-hmm. And so those would be some of the things that also come out of the book. You know, it's not that direct, but you just sort of learn through the person, you know. And then also the thing is, you know, um, you know, one of, uh, without giving it away, someone passes mm-hmm. away um, mm-hmm. right before their 30th class reunion. And, and, and that's when people really start to take stock in significance about, you know, what 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 is that legacy? You know, what do I want people to say about me? Would anybody show up to my funeral? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hear that people say that a lot. They go, God, I went to a funeral. There were four or five hundred people there, and I was just wowed. And then I left. I thought, well, how many would show up to mine? <laughs> yeah. Would it be fifty? Would it be five hundred? And then we've all been to those where there were only about twenty-five or thirty people, and you could tell the, the pastor or whatever didn't even really know this person. Right. Kind of sad. Yeah, it's it, very, very sad. And you know, I think in the in the world that we live in today, uh, where there is so much coming at us uh, with so much emphasis on the material gains, and obviously we're all in business. And I think there is some sort of a you know, at some point we do have to stop to a, a bit. I mean, I know I do it and rationalize. Am I contributing to that hamster wheel? You know, am I mm-hmm. not not just am I on it myself, but am I contributing to that? And and the whole idea of business and profit. You know, you you realize that business is also about creating jobs so people can have a a livelihood and so that, you know, to be able to create a job for somebody is to give them dignity that they can provide for their family and to uh, do some of the things that they would like to do. So uh, it's, you know, there's those kinds of questions that people have to ask themselves as business owners um, with with the kind of world we live in today where profit is... um, Profit's not a not a bad word at all, but uh, greed, I guess, when it crosses over into greed and to doing things that are unethical, and it's very easy. I've seen people, very good people, fall into that trap. So very tiny yeah, book. Yeah. It's always out there. And if anybody would like to just um, check out the website about the book, it's just um, www. It's called thereunionbook.us, thereunionbook.us. US. That's all one word. And um, if you go out there, then you can um, also read a little bit more about it. And there's also a link to Amazon. It's also out on Amazon, too. Um, but if you mm-hmm. want the Kindle version, you need to go out to Amazon. But if you want a hard copy version, you can get it either place. Yes. And you you mentioned, and I know that you uh, are part of the Sandler sales system. So if anybody sure. is out there among our business owner audience who is interested in contacting you about some sales training or, you know, increasing the sales in their company, how would they get a hold of you for that? Yeah, they can uh, just call me at the office, which is 913-451-1760, 913-451-1760, or otherwise you can just go out to um, our website, which is it's just it's just danstalp.com. It's D-A-N-S-T-A-L-P, like patrick.com, and you can check out, you know, whatever you're looking for out there, but probably the easiest thing would be just to call me. Okay. So, uh, Dan, it's been great having you today. Thanks for sharing yeah. some of the highlights Thanks of your book. Me. And uh, always, always a pleasure. So uh, take care. Have a great weekend. And uh, be sure to go out to his website, thereunionbook.us. Is that correct? That's correct. Thereunionbook.us. And, and check it out. Have a great weekend, everyone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.